Last week we started a, um, a two-part series describing a journey that I had been on in my quiet time and uh, I, I named this uh, series Stay Close Until and I put three dots on the end of that title on purpose because it's not up to me to tell you how long your until is. But I believe that over a number of weeks, the Holy Spirit just led me into some passages of Scripture that created insights that just so deeply encouraged me. I thought, man, i got to preach this. If you know me, when I see something, it's like, well, that'll preach. That's happened over and over again. And so last week, I started off by reading an account of a conversation between a university professor and a young student who turned out to be Albert Einstein as a young man. And the, uh, the conversation was along the lines that the professor believed that because God created, created everything, therefore he created evil, therefore God was evil. But Albert Einstein, like the genius that he was, shot that argument full of holes and uh, basically helped the professor understand that evil exists because there's a lack of God. And to do that, he talked about, he asked the professor, does darkness exist? And the professor said, yes, it does. And he goes, well, no, it doesn't actually, sir, not in and of itself. Darkness exists because there's a lack of light. Because you can't measure darkness, but you can measure light. Just like cold exists because of a lack of heat. Darkness exists because of a lack of light. And um, like I was saying, as I've read as each day, as I've continued in the Word of God, as... Um, as I've read the, read the Bible, it's like each time I encounter this pa- different passages of Scripture, it's literally like God is just beaming light into my soul. And over a number of weeks, He gave me three insights that just really laced into this message. And last week, which was part one of this, the insight I talked about was faith versus fear. Based on the, the scriptural verse, Psalm 34, verse 4, I prayed to the Lord and He answered me and He freed me from all my fears. And I talked about the difference between having fear and living with fearfulness. See, fear itself can be a great activator, a great, prom- a, a great prompter. You know, fear will, fear will generate the fight or flight instinct within us. And so fear can actually prompt you, can activate you into action, where fearfulness does completely opposite. It freezes you into immobility. And so fear itself is not bad, it's what we do with fear, whether we let it prompt us into a positive action or whether we let it sink us into fearfulness and being frozen and stuck. So today I want to share with you the last of the three, or the, the two more insights of the three uh, of what God showed me over a number of weeks. But before we go anywhere else, can we just lean in, let's just pray and open our hearts a bit more to the Word of God. Father, Lord, I thank you for the incredible honor and privilege of being able to share your Word with such an amazing group of people, both here and online. and I don't take this lightly. <clears throat> Lord, I don't want to get in the way of what you want to do. And so, Holy Spirit, I submit this word to you. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, because the Bible teaches us that you are the spirit of revelation and truth. So I ask that you would take my human understanding and What I believe you've shown me, and I pray that you would plant revelation, you would plant truth in every heart here this morning, both here on site and those joining us online, and those who will listen to this later on the podcast. 
Lord, don't let your word. The promise in the Bible says your word will not return to you empty-handed. It will not come back to you without achieving the very reason it was sent. And so I'm asking God, activate your word this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Actually, on, on that, um, folks, <clears throat> if, if something that I shared this morning, uh, just like, you know, oh, I, I kind of need to chew on that a little bit. Each time um, we preach, we, we produce um, copies of our, our message notes, and they're out on the resource table out there in the foyer. Um, this is live on Facebook, so the video stays on our Facebook page. We also um, put the audio podcast on our website and on iTunes. So um, there's plenty of places that you can listen to this again or watch this again if you want to. Right, let's dive into insight number two of three. So this one, this insight is light versus dark. John chapter 8 verse 12 says this, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have a light that leads to life. Now to help understand what God showed me, I, I, I want to use an astronomical example this morning. And astronomy is the science that studies uh, moons, stars, um, planets and things like that. I've just realized I've got plants in my notes. Astronomy is not the study of plants, okay? That's a different study, planets. So if you do have my notes, just write an E in there, please. Auto, uh, be my spell check. Anyway, moving along to another scripture that I want to use to in this part of light versus dark. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 9, and this is what it says. In the beginning, the Word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. Am I on, Julian? Can you hear me okay? Okay, cool, cool. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. Verse 6, God sent a man, John the Baptist, to tell about the light. So that everyone might believe because of his testimony. John himself was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. The one who is the true light, who gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Now further on in John chapter 1, we read how the, uh, the, the, the educated of the day, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the religious people came to talk to John, verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders sent priests and temple assistants from Jerusalem to ask John, who are you? And he came right out and he said, I am not the Messiah. Now, let me come back to the astronomical. If we overlay, if we use two of the most commonly seen astronomical bodies in our heavens, the sun and the moon, and we overlay that over this story. In John chapter 1, verse 8, John said that he was not the light. He was simply a witness to tell about the light. All right. What has this got to do with sun and moon? Well, you know what? The moon does not give off its own light. It glows. Its, its glow belongs to another light source. It's like the glowing moon is the witness to tell that the sun is shining. You see the parallel? John the Baptist was the moon to Jesus, the sun. S-O-N. 
we see the moon in the night sky because it reflects the sun. And Jesus said in his sermon on the mount in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, you are the light of the world. No pressure. <laughs> a city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. Now, this is both slightly terrifying, but also incredibly releasing. It's fantastic because the pressure's taken off. Why? Because you don't have to conjure up your own light. You know, I, I, as a pastor, so many times over the years, I've, I've encountered people are going, but I'm just not good enough. I just want to tell you, I, want to, I agree. <laughs> Neither am I. I'm just not good enough. But God himself chose us to reflect his son. When you think about that, the moon simply has to, re the moon doesn't have to strain. It, you don't see the moon, you know, the man and the moon, the old th the craters, you never see the craters looking like this. The, the moon doesn't have to strain to shine the light. It just has to be. But it has to be in the right place. If you understand that we reflect the light of Jesus, then guess what? We need to be in a place where we are in the light. So if you think on this, when we see a crescent moon in the sky, it's because three quarters of it is actually hiding behind the earth. It's hidden in the shadow of the earth. It's hidden in the shadow of the world. How often do we hide in the shadow of the world? How often do we hide behind our thoughts of inadequacy? How often do we hide away because, well, you know, we're talking about my reputation here. Some of the greatest controversies that I've seen over the years are internationally recognized sports personalities who have said, you know what, I'm, I'm not going to play on Sundays because Sunday's the day I set aside for Jesus. One of the biggest controversies in American football was when Tim Tebow knelt down and prayed before a game. So controversial that he's no longer a professional um, NFL player. But why do we hide? Why do we hide in the shadow of the world when we've been called to reflect the sun. You see, God has declared war on darkness, and it's not by the church shouting at the darkness. It's by Jesus himself shining his light off us into the darkness of the world. It's, I mean, that's why I, I just love that, that scripture that I read in Matthew where it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. If you're freaked out about actually telling someone about Jesus, then that's a journey that we can help you with. But if you don't want to say anything about Jesus, then just shine him. Just shine him out. Just reflect him. How can you do that? 
by being the best employee that your boss has got. By being the conscientious person who's prepared to go the extra mile. By being the one who isn't just ignoring the person on your left and right because like, this is my world. This is my space. Don't invade my space. No, invite people into your space. Or even, you know, and let's, let's be real. Sometimes space is important. I get that. I get that. All you innies. <laughs> yeah, innies unite. Okay, enough of that. Um, it'll be a revolution. But, you know, sometimes, actually, you know what? Sometimes you've just got to reach out of your world. And maybe it's just a word of comfort, a word of compassion, or simply just recognizing, or simply just listening. Reflect Jesus. When you are a crescent moon instead of a full moon, or the full moon that you can be, you limit the light of hope that God can reflect from you. Not because the sun isn't bright, but because there is less of you that is willing to allow Jesus to shine from you. Light versus dark. Now, if we come back to the first scripture in this insight, John chapter 8, verse 12, Jesus spoke to the people once more and he said, I am the light of the world. If you follow me, you won't have to walk in darkness because you will have the light that leads to life. This is one of the key bite moments when I was reading the scriptures. I suddenly had this thought, and I want to share this with you this morning. Now, I, I, I need you. I need you to stay in the light. I need you to stay in the light. And guess what? You need me to stay in the light. Because if we are not going to be in the light, we cannot reflect Jesus. And then those on our left and our right are going to walk in darkness. We need to reflect Jesus around us because Jesus wants his light in the world. And the scripture said, you are the light of the world. When we have a full moon and it's and fully in the light of the sun, it reflects the full circle of, of uh, the, the, the moon is a full circle. Can we show the next slide, please? There it is. We're going to reflect Jesus. Let's not use a glossy Snapchat filter because guess what? We've all got craters. <laughs> We've all got craters. You know what? Let's be real. The world is looking for authentic. Can I employ you as a pastor? Don't be a weird Christian. And you know what? You're laughing because you're all going, oh, I know that person. I know that person. I know, that. <laughs> I know my pastor. Oh, um, <laughs> I, I've, I, have been, I have been guilty of being that over-the-top, complete Fruit Loop weird Christian. I have. What? You were nodding, you were nodding too hard. You know why? We've been married thirty-four years, and she knows me inside out. <laughs> in my enthusiasm, I was a bit stupid. Got punched in the face for it once on a street preaching in Aotea Square up in Auckland. Yep, the Bible said, "Turn your cheek." If you get punched on the one side, turn. I couldn't turn my cheek. He punched me right in the middle. I was like, "What am I supposed to do with this?" His blood was pouring out of my nose, and anyway. Half an hour later, he gave his life to God. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus. It was with a blood nose. 
it really hurt. But yeah, maybe I was not that wise and lacked a little bit of grace on how I talked to him. And maybe I deserved that punch in the nose. But anyways, you know what? If we're going to shine Jesus, let's just be real. Let's be authentic. Let's not be weird Christians. Please, please. I'll do my best not to be a weird pastor. Did you just snort? Oh, you're clearing your throat. Okay, right. You know, there's another, there's another aspect to the moon that is really powerful, and that's when the full moon becomes a super moon. Now, a super moon is a full moon when it is at its closest to the earth on its, ellipti- on its, um, yeah, its elliptical orbit of the earth. And when the moon is closer to the earth, it, I mean, it just looks so much bigger. Doesn't that look epic? That it's a supermoon, but here's the thing: we all know that our tides are, are affected affected by the moon, the gravitational pull of the moon, and, and all that sort of stuff. But when there's a supermoon, the tides move. This is the evidence of a. This is the effect of a supermoon in Brisbane, flooding the streets because the tide was more than a king tide because of a supermoon. What's the what's the parallel here? You know what? If we'd be supermoons for God, oh, the tide can shift. The tide can shift. Can you? This is, look, honestly, guys, this is where my brain goes. When I'm reading the word of God about reflecting the light, I'm thinking, okay, so I'm thinking, Jesus, you're the sun. I'm the moon. I'm going to reflect your light. I don't want to be a crescent moon. I want to be a full moon. Actually, I want to be a supermoon. And then I think, if I'm a supermoon and I walk into the supermarket, then I've got a super opportunity to see a super tide. To see people. You know, I want you to think about this. The Bible says that you are the living, walking, breathing temple of God. You, if Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you have the power of heaven, the Holy Spirit residing within you. So that wherever you go, you literally are an atmospheric change agent. You can walk into a room that's pathologically negative and change the atmosphere. A couple of weeks ago, I taught about Mary. When Mary was filled with the whole, um, Mary, the mother of Jesus, it's, the Bible says that when she walked into Elizabeth's house, she just said, hi. And the baby leapt within Elizabeth's womb and, and she was filled with the Holy Spirit. <sighs> what a super thing. Am I the only one that gets excited about this sort of stuff? <laughs> Come on, man. The power of heaven. You walk into a room. I, I, okay, I'm just going to take the scenic route this morning, okay? I read a, um, a book called God's Generals, and there was a chapter in there that described a gentleman by the name of Charles Finney. Um, it, just like a, a super preacher from yonks and yonks ago. Such was the power of heaven in his life. Such was his connection with God. Such was his availability for God to reflect off him. The account goes like this. He walked into a flax mill. And there were two ladies sitting on uh, 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 spinners or something. that You know, they shred the flax so they can weave it and all this sort of stuff. And he was quite a wee ways. And these two ladies saw him walk in and they started to get agitated. He hadn't said a single word. The account goes that as he walked, the manager of the factory was showing him around. As he walked through the factory, he starts to get closer and closer to these two ladies. 
until such times, he still hadn't said a single word until such times as he was quite close to them. And in the end, the two of them were so agitated by the presence and the power of God on his life, they threw themselves off their stools onto their knees and they howled out to God and they said, God, forgive us. And they got their lives right before God. They repented of their sin and their immorality, everything that was in their lives that was ungodly and they repented of it. It was such a radical thing. The, fa- the factory manager shut the factory And he said, we will not produce another thing now until every single person in this factory gets their lives right with God. Charles Finney hadn't said a word. Oh, the possibilities. The power of God. Will you stay close to Jesus until you can fully reflect his light? Will you get close enough to your world So that the gravitational pull of the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus changes the tide in people's lives. Will you be willing to be a supermoon, not just a crescent moon? Will you be light versus dark? Okay, here's insight number three. So number number one was faith over faith versus fear. Number two was light versus dark. Here's number three, submission versus individualism. Oh, you want what? When, you know, when, when we find ourselves on the wrong road, when we accept that we're going on the wrong way, the wrong direction, and we submit to the truth, this allows us to make a U-turn and head in the right direction. The, Bible, the, the, the word the Bible uses to describe this is repentance. Now, I've heard preachers preach that repentance is just about you know, uh, turning and coming to Jesus and you know, having that come to Jesus moment. But you know what? Repentance, whilst it's a word used in the Bible, it's actually, it's not a theological word. It is, it is an um, intellectual word. To repent literally means to change your mind and change your direction. And so you know what? You can be a on fire for the Messiah, Bible reading, speaking in tongues, praying Christian. And there might be something in your life that you still got to repent from. It means to change your mind and change your direction. So if you find yourself going the wrong way and you accept that you're going the wrong way, you submit to the truth and turn around, that's repentance. And here's the thing. Repentance doesn't increase God's desire for you. Repentance increases your capacity to be with Him. Repentance increases your capacity to reflect the light of Jesus. You submit to the truth. We read the Bible where Jesus was crucified, risen, and, dis- and appears to the disciples, but he doesn't stay. And Peter, one of the most well-known disciples, he's like, he's gutted. He's gutted. He, he loses one of his closest friends, his mentor, his teacher. He loses his Lord and Savior. He dies. And I mean, he, first he denies him, and then he watches him die, and then he sees him buried, and then he goes to the grave, and he's gone. And then he appears. I mean, I mean, talk about an emotional roller coaster. I mean, he's gutted because he's let his best friend and Lord and Savior down. And then he has to watch him die. And then he, he can't find him. And then he appears. And then he disappears again. Oh, my goodness. There is no amount of Xanax on the world that can fix that. And so Peter gets discouraged. And he turns around to this, his disciples in a state of hopelessness. And he says, I'm going fishing. 
Now, that's not going down to the division or the bar and chasing Kawai. What Peter's saying is here is, I'm done with this. I'm going back to my old life. He's a fisherman. I'm done with this. I'm going back to my old habits. I'm going back to what I, I know. It may not be the best, but I know it. I'm going back. Let's pick up the story in John chapter 21, verses 4 through 6. At dawn, Jesus was standing on the beach, but the disciples couldn't see who he was. And he called out, fellows, have you caught any fish? It almost sounds like you have to use a British accent for that, doesn't it? I'm not too sure how a Hebrew accent would use for that. But anyway, no, they replied. Then he said, throw out your net on the right side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. And they couldn't haul in the net because there were so many fish in it. Now, remember this series is Stay Close Until. That's what it's called. And in this verse, there are two monumental keys I want to give you this morning. Here's the first thing. Jesus spoke into Peter's world. Peter was a fisherman. In great anxiety and discouragement, he'd gone back to his world. He'd gone back fishing. And so Jesus came along and he spoke into Peter's world. You know what? I don't know where you're at. I don't know what you're involved in. I don't even know what your job is. Well, some of you I do, but I don't know what you're dealing with in your own life. But if you will allow him, Jesus will speak into your world. Here's the second key thing. When Jesus spoke into Peter's world and gave him an instruction, Peter said yes. Throw your net on the right-hand side of the boat and you'll get some. So they did. You know what, and, and, and this, this just completely blew me away when I thought about this, and I talked it over with a pastor friend of mine. We are just unpacking it together, and this is why it's so cool. If you're not part of a connect group in our church, one of the amazing things about connect groups, these are our small groups during the week, is you get to take this sort of stuff, and you get to tear it apart and chew on it and get all the meat off the bones, and, and this is exactly what I was doing with this verse with a pastor friend of mine, and as we were talking about it, you know the difference between the discouraged weariness of Peter and the overwhelming breakthrough of the, the catch? You know what the difference is? Two and a half meters. The width of the boat. Maybe we just need to simply step into Jesus. If you think of the Old Testament tabernacle, the temple, there was the outer court, the holy place, and then the holy of holies. You know the only thing that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was a curtain. How thick's a curtain? Four mil. But the curtain in the temple was really thick and really heavy. So let's, let's be generous because it was a very opulent curtain. Let's say 100 mil, four inches, for those of you who are still imperially minded. How long does it take you to step through a curtain? But you know what? How many, how many rooms in our lives are separated by just a curtain? And we go, I can't go in there. There's a curtain. Please. It's a curtain. <laughs> it's that easy. It's okay, I'll come back, I'll come back. It's just so that the people sitting that side don't get blinded by the reflection of the sun. <laughs> come on, guys. Will you be bold? Will you just take a step into Jesus? Will you submit? What did, people, what, what, do we ta- what, what did it take? Peter allowed Jesus to speak into his world. Peter chose to sub- pardon me, submit to Jesus instead of saying, I'm the fisherman. I know, you're just the teacher. 
How, do, how much do I allow Jesus to speak into my world? How important is he? Will I submit my ways? Will I submit my individualism to stay close until? Jesus said in John 15 verse 7, If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. Imagine, oh my goodness, my brain goes on this one. If we lived our lives in such submission to Jesus that we were full mirrors of the light, the life, the hope, and the purpose of Jesus, that that promise right there in the scriptures becomes true in everyday experience. I read an account of George Mueller the other day. He was famous for starting orphanages in the UK back in the, um, all, almost all around when the Black Plague and all that sort of stuff, kids, street kids, and he would take them in. And how God moved for him was just phenomenal. All these orphans would be sitting around the table for dinner and there wasn't a scrap of food in the building. And they would pray. There'd be a knock on the door. The local baker rocks up with a whole wagon full of bread. Get up in the morning and knock on the door. There's a farmer with buckets full of milk. Not a single piece of food in the whole place. He just, God, you know what we need? Bang. Immediate and instant answers. What is needed of us? I, I, I want to I throw some challenges out this morning. As uh, Would the worship team please come? Think about the way we view Jesus. Think about the way we approach God. Think about the way you enter into the presence of God. I want to suggest, um, and this is, I, I by no means have this down perfectly and down pat, okay? So I'm, I'm working on this. I'm preaching to me as much as I'm preaching to anybody here this morning. I want to suggest this morning that when we open the Bible, we are entering a most holy place, the Word of God. I want to suggest that when we come to church, when we gather where there are people gathered in the name of Jesus to worship Him, if you are a believer, have you prepared your heart to experience the living God? Or do you just come to church because it's habit? When you come to church, believer, have you come prepared to sow into an atmosphere where someone who needs the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus that you have, will you be prepared to help the atmosphere be such an atmosphere that someone who's broken, someone who's searching, someone who's lost, someone who needs healing, when they walk in, they walk into an atmosphere that's so full of the power and the love and the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness and the healing and the hope of Jesus that they just got to walk in. And God will do it. You know, I've led worship longer than I've led than I've been a pastor. And over the years, I've had so many believers, so many churchgoers, so many Christians come up to me and go, I got nothing out of that this morning. You know what? I wasn't brave enough to say, I am now. So watch out if you're the next one. <laughs> but guess what? I wasn't brave enough to say, well, I'm, I'm quite pleased that you got nothing out of that because Sunday morning's not about you. Sunday morning's about God. And Sunday morning is about people who want God and looking for God and need God. So if you've come to teach church as a supermarket, then check your heart. I don't, want to, I don't want to offend anybody this morning. I really, really don't. But how do you come to church? Do you come to meet the living God? To come out from the shadow of the world that you've been in so that you might be refreshed by the light and the healing and the hope of God? 
As a Christian, one who believes in their heart that Jesus Christ is Lord and confesses with their mouth that God raised him from the dead. Romans chapter 10 verse 9. You're different because of your personal relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Will you allow that difference to shine the light of Jesus? Will you allow that difference to let your faith overcome your fear? Will you allow that difference to cause your heart to lean into him and submit to his ways as opposed to your individual ways? Luke chapter 12, verses 35 and 36, and then verse 40 says this, Be dressed for service and keep your lamps burning as though you are waiting for your master to return from the wedding feast. Then you will be ready to open the door and let him in the moment he arrives and knocks. You must also be ready all the time, for the Son of Man will come when least expected. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus is coming back. The Bible says he's coming back. He doesn't tell us when, but it says we can discern the seasons. I'll tell you what, I've just got such a stirring in my heart. I don't know the timeline, but I don't think it's far. (laughs) Honestly, I don't. As I close out this series this morning, will you stay close to Jesus until that your faith overcomes your fear? Till you reflect the light of the sun like a supermoon? Till your life is submitted to such a degree that Jesus' plans and purpose become your plans and purpose? Because there are two promises in the Word of God that are for you, if you will. Here it is, Romans 15, verse 13. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy and peace because you trust in Him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. Who wants to overflow with confident hope? Come on, come on, come on, somebody. This last promise I want to read to you, but I'd love to read it over you as a blessing. Would you please stand this morning? And I ask you to, I ask you to stand as I do this because it's a, it's a physical thing. I want, I want you to put yourself in a posture to receive this morning. It's a physical, it's, a, it's kind of like an outward expression of God. I'm going to stand up because I want to receive this. And So having asked you to stand, if you don't feel comfortable, then please don't worry about it. But this is it. Ephesians chapter 3 verses 19 through 21 says this. And I pray this, I read this over you as a blessing this morning. May you receive the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. And now all glory to God who is able through his mighty power at work within you to accomplish infinitely more than we might ask or think. Glory to him in the church and in Christ Jesus through all generations forever and ever. Amen.